we are creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. So today on The Working Artist Project, I have Mr. Chris Patashaw. Hey, how you doing? I, I said it with a southern accent, though. You know what I'm saying? That's right. We're both from the south. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you grew up in Mississippi, right? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Mississippi. You know, the, I'm from the real south. The real south. Yeah, the yeah. Deep south. I'm from the like east, east, east <laughs> south. You almost not south to <laughs> right. me, but I'm gonna, give, I'm gonna give you a pass. No, I appreciate you know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the border there. Yeah, yeah. You're on the border, man. Yeah. So, I want to start our conversation about uh, here at a place. But I'm like drawing inspiration from different places. You know what I mean? Like, I know for me, like I draw my inspiration from art or from like walking my dog or from like a conversation I had with my mom. Like it can come from anywhere. Like, how does that work for you? I've always, um, I, I grew up kind of, my parents were big readers and my dad was into a, a lot of different music and films and stuff like that. And so he exposed me to a bunch of stuff real early on and um so for me literature has always been a big big thing and especially there's like latin american writers and especially people that write short stories something about that especially in the last couple years has been just huge for me um actually like the more i think about it i think a lot of it does come from my parents and there's like certain things that they were interested in I remember like driving through, we would go on a family vacation. We'd be going to the beach or something mm -hmm. and we'd be in some small town in Eastern North Carolina and they would just pull over and go down some side street and me and my younger brother are in the back seat, like, come on, like, let's get to the beach, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is, what are we doing? And they would just stop and they would drive real slow down the street and just look at houses and talk about, they were real big on, on, uh, bungalows, which is like a, okay. you know, architectural style. Right. But over time that kind of like, I started paying attention. And so for me, like New York is one of the greatest cities to be in because you can just be walking down seventh Avenue or sixth Avenue and you look up on a building and there's some like little decal or some kind of detail and decoration. And so that has always been really inspiring to me. Yeah. I didn't say this and it's my fault, like, but you play piano. So yeah, I try to, Yeah, <laughs> I have good days. <laughs> Well, you know, we all out here just trying to do what we can do with what we got, you know. That's right. That's right. But so you you're, for you your inspiration is, is coming from this dissonance of the of the buildings in New York City and and from literature. Yeah, and that's dope. Yeah, and history, I mean, all of it is very um I can I it it I kind of go down different rabbit holes too. The thing that one thing that's really inspiring about architecture that is also inspiring about say making a film like a film production is there's so many people involved you know and there's like a there's an intersection between a creative space and an organizational space mm -hmm. and like administ you know like you like in order to make a building or to make a movie or to do an opera or something like right. that or like a musical on broadway you got to have people that are really creative but also know how to work with other people, communicate, get things done, be on time, you know, and that idea of all of these people working 
in these like very specific zones to all kind of realize one big picture. Right. Man, that blows my mind. Well, how does that how does that relate to what you do on stage? Um it sort of depends on the context. I mean, when I'm playing if 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 it's just on the bandstand and it's a quartet or a quintet and we're playing, I'm always attempting to really be focused on what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. and trying to like bridge ideas between different people. So maybe the bass player has an idea and the drummer has an idea and I might try to find a way to echo those and send it on or like, you know, build a structure with the rhythm section underneath the soloist. Right. 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 That may like develop over time. I, you know, I like to, I like, I like shapes and sort of these, these things that feel like they're kind of repetitive and building and, and right, 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 moving sure. towards something. See, like that just, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I just thought about like Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because to me, it's like a real simple, it's complex what they're doing, but also it's like easy to hear it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Ray is leading the way with, with that thing and then the bass is laying it down and then the drums is like very like this is what you know yeah. everybody plays their role perfectly yeah sometimes to me in jazz these roles are you know people get a, a little bit away from them like why why do you think that is i don't know that you could generalize that there's one way i think there probably are lots of different reasons you know i think some people are out there and they want to explore you know it, whether it's like works or not you know, like sometimes I can understand that perspective of saying, well, let's let's say that these are all of the assumptions about the music. Mm-hmm. It's got to be this, this, this and this. What happens if you take one of those and just completely turn it on its head? Now, you may try that and then say, yeah, I mean, that didn't sound good or I didn't like it, you know, but there I think some people are out there trying to do that. I think there are are maybe some other people who um, I think a lot of men ego is always something that we all deal with. Right. right. You know, and, and the ego can tempt you into trying to do something that's not in service of the music and, and of the like whole group. Right, 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 right. You know, and, and once you do that, you know, the groove is lost. See, now I want to get into politics because you like when you you just made me think about what's happening now in our country. And like, you know, when you're not thinking about the whole group. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so when you get a group of people only thinking about a small portion, like I'm the drummers, I'm only thinking about myself now, you know, right. I'm the one percent or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Then that means trouble for the rest of the crew. Right. Yeah. So it's the same thing. So like, why do you think like it seems like this is happening in America you know, in music sometimes and then in every facet of life, in business. Yeah. You know, what's happening, man? Fix our problems. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. I mean, I think what's going on in America is a very complex issue that unfortunately in a number of ways gets boiled down because for some people they don't have the energy or the willingness to to try to understand how complex it is. Mm. And I think that for a lot of those people that are in that kind of zone, they're easily um, persuaded 
you know, they'll accept anything that seems like a convenient answer. Mm. And, you know, you have a lot of people in a lot of parts of America who are frustrated and scared and things like that. And they don't necessarily have the energy to delve into why that is, right? They got bills to pay. They, it's right, like right, right, right. life is happening. So you right. don't really have time to like, like, like zone out and look at the big picture. And so then, then you got people on Fox News and Breitbart and things like that that are giving them pretty fucked up, but like very simple answers. Right. And they go for it, you know? And they start to assume that certain people, people of color, immigrants, Muslims, right. that people like that are actively working against them and, and disrupting the fabric of America. Now, do you see this mirrored in the community, at least in the music community? And Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go out and say this, bro. <laughs> Be honest, man. I mean, man. yeah, yeah. I, it's, this is not a thing that I've seen... It's for me it's not something that comes out of like what's happening in politics in America right now. Okay. But my experience growing up in North Carolina and then living in Tallahassee, Florida, okay, was that the music community was very integrated. And that is not the case. I mean, it it happens in New York. Right. But I've noticed that there's a much greater um occurrence of bands that are like pretty segregated right whose fault is that what's happening uh again i think it's probably it's a it's i don't think it's a simple answer you know i I think it's probably complex but i would venture to say that probably a lot of it has to do with the fact that you have a lot of people coming up in jazz education, a lot of like suburban white middle-class kids that aren't really growing up in very diverse circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then for a variety of reasons, one of which being the cost of higher education, right. Right. Um, the sort of culture around jazz music, as a sort of like academic thing that is, that has lost in, in an academic setting, a lot of its relationship to the folk art, like African American folk expression. So those things end up kind of like all cycling and, and like you end up with these very white middle-class suburban jazz programs and these students that, are learning the music on a certain level and in a certain way and then moving to New York and they just are kind of perpetuating the environments that they have become comfortable with. Right. 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 Out of a lack of exposure. Right. But we all tend to do that in all facets of life. Like we kind of hang around and draw in people that we're used to being around. Yeah. you, You know what I mean? Like whatever your culture was, you just keep perpetuating that. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I did notice that coming from New Orleans and then coming here and I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, it's, it's very it's very interesting, man, how, it is. how that works out. Now, I want to talk about 
like your inspiration and and for for making music and like why do you why do you play piano and and like why are you in new york city when i was about 11 years old i'd been taking piano lessons and i had um i was learning some little like blues mm-hmm. piano arrangements like kind of you know corny little like cute things well i heard you was like in a jazz club when you was like 12 hanging out yeah. with grown men and smoking cigarettes well that yeah <laughs> that's what austin johnson told me <laughs> there is some truth to that actually there is definitely some truth um i met i had the, the extreme good fortune of meeting two people uh who were teaching at my middle school i went to a, a school in durham north carolina and um there was a saxophonist named stanley baird who was running the the band program and there was a pianist um, named Chip Crawford, who was mm-hmm. the chorus director. Now, Chip, shortly thereafter, left and moved to New York, and he's been playing with Gregory Porter okay. for a number of years. Um, I mean, he played with the Four Tops back in the day. He did a oh, wow. whole bunch of stuff. But they kind of saw something in me, and they said, come on, we're going to teach you. Right. And... I was excited about learning about the music, but what they also did, which was really important for me, was they introduced me to the community. Ah, okay. And so they would bring in, I remember doing, I'd written some song, and Chip was like, okay, we're going to bring in this drummer, um, and we're going to record this song. And Chip played like key bass, and I played you know, piano, and this guy, Iaji Hampton, drummer from North Carolina, lives out in LA now, he came in. and. Okay. And just being able to play with people like that, that were older, um, and to be around them, you know, it, it kind of opened up this world to me. I, I, I got really involved because Stanley and Chip both were very involved with North Carolina Central University. So I got into that community and mm. started hanging out in the jazz program. I would just go and like be around. Right. They would have a concert and I would just be like backstage, 12 years old, <laughs> not smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> but but hanging, you know. Right, right. And they introduced me, Chip and, and Stanley, one year they did a jazz, a summer camp. Okay. At Central. And I went and was involved and was there. And the the special guest was uh, Dr. Donald Byrd. Oh, wow. They brought him in and getting to meet him and, and seeing, it was it was like seeing this world, this big extended family, this very diverse, very... It was it was like everyone was was together because of this thing that they loved, which was kind of mystical and mysterious to me. And yet it was there was so much warmth and so much love. And then especially this moment where Donald Byrd sort of like treated me like I could be a part of that. You know, right, right. It was like, you you know, come on in. Come on. Welcome. Yeah. And it was so it was like by the time I was 13. I knew I was going to be a jazz musician. And that's when you started smoking cigarettes. And that's when I started smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> and I kind of always knew I was going to be in New York. Okay. You know, and it was just a matter of, of when. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's kind of, that's a great story, man. Man, I, let's go ahead and like listen. Let's listen to one of the tunes that, uh, one of your tunes. Okay. And uh, give, give my audience a chance to check you out. This is uh, The Pearls, which is Jelly Roll Morton. And... um I'm playing this solo piano, and uh, this is one of my favorite pieces. And, and one of the reasons I, that I decided to play this 
is because there's a another pianist that recorded it, a woman named Mary Lou Williams, oh, yeah, okay. who in the last couple of years has been extremely important to me, someone that I really admire um, and have studied a lot of. And so seeing her play this piece by Jelly Roll yeah. and this sort of like, she was so modern but also so connected to the history and it was like a reverent gesture. And so for me to play it, I'm thinking a lot about like tracing a lineage back Mm. through Mary Lou Williams back to Jelly Roll. Okay. Because it's kind of an emotional thing. Yeah. Nice, man. All right, here it is. So what people don't know about you is like you're a curator of music, so to speak. So you you do all of these pieces based like you did the thing with Mary Lou Williams. Mm -hmm. And you've also done a a series of pieces based on literature. Yeah. 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 So I uh, last year in 2016, I got a commission to write a piece of music. And I've always been, like I said earlier, a big fan of Latin American literature. And there's a there's a writer from Argentina, there was a writer from Argentina, named Jorge Luis Borges. Okay. And he was kind of a master of short stories, and in the 40s did some things that kind of changed literature in a lot of ways, and a lot of um, a lot of other Latin American writers and writers all over the world coming after him were very influenced by that. And he's often considered one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. Okay. Um, his short stories combine, they're like really wild. And the, like what, what he's imagining is a lot of times he's dealing with infinity, with these kind of universal cosmic moments, with stepping outside of time, with time repeating itself. But the way he would write about it was almost like he was, it was very kind of cold and clinical, but in an ironic way. Mm. Um, one of the things he did was like he would invent, he would put himself in a story as a narrator, but like a false narrator. And so um, there was, for me, this combination of this this sort of logic and, and control that really was being... Um, used against itself to demonstrate these really wild kind of universal cosmic big ideas. And then to do that in like two pages, right, right. sometimes as little as a paragraph. Wow. And I was really inspired by that. Um, and I've also been interested in tango music for a long time. Okay. And so I went all in and I just started writing pieces based on, I would pick stories I would write music based on it. Um, I studied his life and his writing a lot. I studied the history of Argentina during that time. I studied a lot of Argentinian folk music. Um, I had a lot of conversations with friends that turned me on to all kinds of really cool stuff. And 
And then again, I try to keep it really brief. I mean, it's, right. some of the songs are 40 seconds long. Oh, wow. Um, and then the idea is that you, we play 20 or 25 of them in an hour. Oh, wow. Okay. Man, so earlier you mentioned uh, university in, in school. And, and I want to get into like the whole racket with school. Sometimes like how much people pay to go to school versus like how much you're going to make when you get out of school. You know what I mean? Like I know a lot of times cats pay for an education that's $100,000 or $80,000, right? But, you know, with a 6.8 or above interest rate on the money that you're borrowing to get this education to be a jazz musician. Not saying you can make money being a jazz musician because, you know, we make a living. But, like, at the same time, there's too many people coming out of school and taking on this kind of debt to to study music. And I think it's kind of ridiculous. And I think we need a new system. Like, what do you think about that? Man, I, I agree completely. Um, I don't know exactly what that system, what that new system looks like, but I'm with you completely. I mean, I was fortunate that I was not, I didn't have to take on too much, mm-hmm. you know, to get an education. Um, my, some of my friends have, you right. know, and it's a reality. Um, one of the things that's occurred to me about that whole situation too, is like, it's a, it's like, it's a cycle that people get stuck in. Right. You know? Right. I mean, I had some incredible professors and I wouldn't be where I am today without them. But on a, on like a very general kind of way of looking at it, you imagine here you have a jazz musician who maybe got a degree and maybe has some debt. And they get an opportunity to go teach at a school to make some money, to maybe pay off that debt, maybe have a family, you know, of course, achieve these kind of like middle class ideas. But they have to reckon with the fact on some level or they don't that what they're doing is perpetuating this cycle. Of course. Right. Right. And they can teach these kids how to play music. But on a certain level, it's like do they have a responsibility to look these kids in the face and be like, do you realize what you're doing to yourself? They do. I think they do. They're all failing at it. Yeah. All of them. I'm just going to call out and say it, but I think this is the solution. Well, one solution to the problem is if kids have to realize that they don't have to go to Berkeley, like they don't have to go to NEC. They don't have to go to Juilliard and all these other places. Like, you don't have to spend to go to MSM to spend all that money. You just don't. There's a bunch of schools with really good programs yeah and all you need to do is get five of your friends to agree to go to that cheaper school with you because it's all you do when you go to those more expensive schools you stick with five to ten people mm-hmm. and then you all grow together right yeah so i think if you go to a different school you know what i mean say like michigan state which is, is a really great program for half the price of some of those other schools yeah absolutely you get five or ten of your friends from your neighborhood who play with you already and just go there and do what you were going to do anyway at the new school who charges an arm and leg for no fucking reason. Right. Don't. And it's already expensive to live in New York City. So, like, just go to college somewhere else. Right. Go to college in New Jersey. That's what That's I did. That's what you did. Yeah. I mean, I got my undergrad at Florida State, state school, um, walked out with no debt. And I got my master's at a school in, in New Jersey called William Patterson University. Right. Much more affordable than a lot of the like big name schools in New York city. 
And because it's so close to New York, you got this incredible faculty. I mean, same people you would be studying with exactly. at Manhattan, you know, right, right. are out there. Um, and the ironic thing is, I remember at a certain point in time, I really wanted to go to Juilliard. I was like, okay. ah, this is what I want. I didn't do it. And yet I get approached all the time or not all the time, but like it's a regular thing where people, other musicians, people in the scene, they'll be like, so what, what year were you at Juilliard? When were you there? Right. I'm always like, bruh, never. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, you know, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you're going to lose some things, you know, here or there, like, you know, some network type situations, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of the times, no matter what school you went to, like I went to Southern Miss, bro, like we all end up in the same place yeah. if you have, if you're focused and you're determined. Yeah. It's it's about the time that you put in right, and what you want out of the situation right, right, right. more than it is like the environment. Right. Of course. So, man, art and politics, mm-hmm. like do do you, does your art, do you like protest through your music or is it connected in any way? to making life better for people, the ignored group of people in the country or man, that's, um, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately and, and trying to kind of figure out in my own music. Um, for a while, my music was not explicitly political. Mm. You know, I'm not, I mean, I thought about writing songs being like, fuck Donald Trump. (laughs) You know, like that sounds like a rap song, man. Actually, I mean, like, you know, I feel like this the the song title "Alternative Facts" is like, oh uh, yeah, you know, there are gonna be so many songs like "Alternative Facts," this "Alternative Facts," blues, whatever. Like, right, right. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I think there is something to be said for being really overt. Um, but someone said something to me recently. It was like sometime in January. So like I remember I was I was on tour and I got out on inauguration day I was in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. And then the next day I went to Chicago and that was the day of the the women's march. Okay. I got to Chicago. First thing I did was just like put my bags down and went straight to the protest. Wow. And it was a be- it was like actually really, you know, Chicago can be so miserable in the winter. It was actually a nice day, so everybody was out. Right. And it was incredible, you know. Um, I'm all for action. And sometimes I feel like speaking through music is not even enough. Like, I get into a thing where I'm like, man, I need to be out. Like, you need to be out here, right. Out, like, on the streets, you know. Um, but right after that, I got a message from a friend of mine, kind of out of the blue. And she said something basically was like, Hey, I have a favor. We were, we were talking about the political situation and how kind of bummed out we were. She's like, I got a favor. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep making music, keep bringing people happiness and joy and like uplift people just through what you're doing. Right. That in and of itself is an important thing and a political thing. Um, so I believe in that and I believe one of the things that, that I've always been so kind of blown away with when I listen to the music of like Duke Ellington, Fats Waller, or you see them on film, is like they weren't always necessarily 
explicit about the political situation. Mm -hmm. But just by being up there and having that kind of strength and resilience and then the, the like reserve of strength to bring joy into the situation to me is a very powerful thing and very inspiring. Um, that being said, all that being said, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm planning on getting more political and more outspoken. Yeah. Speaking of fuck Donald Trump, I just want to see how many times <laughs> I can say that today. For real. <laughs> fuck Donald Trump. You got one song that sounds like it's like fuck Donald Trump, but it's not. Yeah. The, 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 what's it called? It's a little more rocky. Oh, Freakish. Freakish. It's called Freakish? Freakish. Okay, dope. Let's, let's listen to that, man. All right. That's just in what the what inspires that? <laughs> like um, that's something for everybody. You got like a headbanger joint in there, and then all of a sudden you like in the trad, you know, like yeah. in the nineteen twenties. On one level, um, talking about kind of protest, right? That there's something about that energy for me, and just this kind of like wild, raucous, not really trying to be super accurate on the like hitting the piano, you know, that expresses something about what I'm feeling and what I think a lot of people are feeling. You know, there's something about that that's like, you know, it's a big fuck you Donald Trump. Right. But it's it's also a cathartic thing too. Um, and then to, to create this really stark contrast between that energy, that like full out kind of thing, and then this very like contained... Um, contained gesture, you know, to me, that's also like a, like the first part reveals the hypocrisy of the second part, Mm -hmm. you know, or just the, the clash. Like, you know, sometimes you can make it a political thing. Like you've got the like old world, old money kind of vibe. And you're like, nah, like we're (laughs) we're about to tear this down. Right. You know, um, but you can look at it other ways too. I mean, it's like also like sometimes we try to act like everything is cool. We got it under control, but what's going on inside is like it's chaos. Yeah. Oh, tumultuous. Man. That's every jazz musician. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of people, you know, right, right. it's like people are out here going through what they're going through and trying to, trying to hold it together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, um, to me, I think more and more, like for a while I was I was really interested in precision and clarity and I remember talking to a friend of mine about I was like man I want to get all of the the shit out of my sound and like meaning I don't want anything that isn't like really pristine and deliberate and perfect you know 
And, and there are a lot of pianists that I admire and musicians that I admire that are like that, like crystal clean, like never a wrong note, whatever. And then over time, I was sort of like, man, there's actually like, there's so much power and emotion in that kind of rawness. And I like that. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I want to actually just bang my fists on the keyboard and make some noise. Yeah, I feel like that kind of thing like embodies life, man. It's like you there's always say there's nothing perfect in life. Yeah. So I, I personally I admire though I never want my music to be perfect. I never want anything to be perfect. You I don't love perfectly, I don't walk perfectly. You know, it's nothing you can do perfect. Yeah. So, you know, when it has that grit and that mud, it's like some extra to it and people can relate to it better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I wanna know what is the end goal of your creation? That's a good question. I would say ultimately, I want to create an experience for the listener that causes them to step outside of, on the first level, step outside of themselves, right? We were talking about when you, when you do something drastic and it like makes people pay attention all of a sudden, right? Mm-hmm. Draw someone out of their everyday experience. Um, get them to reevaluate their surroundings, themselves, their assumptions and ultimately as a result of that to come into a space of empathy mm-hmm. and openness towards other people and themselves and and to try to create an environment where people are walking away not only feeling better but also more generous towards others more willing to take someone else's perspective into account mm. you know to look outside of themselves we all get kind of like locked into our own world vision and our own thing that's true man but the empathy is like that's it yeah that shit is hard man like it's because it's, I, I know for me at least you know i know we keep going back to politics but like with all of the stuff that's going on like I'm, I'm really trying hard to see the other side like okay well why does this person in kentucky why do, why do they believe in this guy so much like am i missing something you know what i mean like i want to talk to that guy I'm like let me i want to understand your story yeah. but you know but default i mean like nah fuck that guy like he you know what i mean he oh, oh that guy's racist or this guy is that but it's hard to not just label people because that's that's how we put up barriers it's like oh that guy psh, whatever or we even do it in jazz oh yeah. that club psh, i don't hang out there like right. these type of people hang out there yeah this scene no nah, i'm not a part of that whatever right yeah. like yeah man i don't raggy fuck that like that's not my thing like you know instead of embracing it and trying to understand the the group of people or whatever it may be that we're that we're blocking from our lives you know what i mean yeah yeah you're absolutely right and yeah. and man i'm it's the same way man like right now I say that's what I want my music to be. I, I aspire towards that. But yeah, I have days where it's like, no, fuck that. <laughs> like, I'm not. Right. No. Like, yeah. I don't have a place for that, you mm-hmm. know. But ultimately, I think empathy is one of the most important things. And to be able to extend that to another person, to be able to 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 put yourself in their shoes and try to find a common ground is the most powerful and effective way of moving through the world yeah so man we're coming to it to it to the end here but I always ask every person that comes on i need to know three things that you're most thankful for i would say 
for one, I'm extremely, extremely, extremely thankful to my family. Um, my parents raised me to be empathetic, to be kind, to be thoughtful and generous. Um, they also never, ever questioned me in my pursuit. Mm. Uh, even though I think at times they were like, what the hell is this kid doing? You know, <laughs> be a doctor. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they never, they never, there was never a moment where they would sit me down and say, well, so how are you going to support yourself? What right, do you, you right. know, they said, if this is what you believe in, go for it. And right. we support you. Um, and I try not to take that for granted, but it's been such a constant thing for me that it's like, that's one of the great strengths that I have, you know, is, is I know that they, they believe in you. Yeah. yeah. They don't doubt me. I'm s- extremely thankful for a really, really big number of people who are a part of the jazz community that from the time I was very young were extremely supportive and went out of their way to help me to, you know, give me opportunities even when I was really couldn't play and was really struggling. You know, they were patient in a way that I only kind of understood years later, you know, um, and I would not be here at all if it weren't for that. Yeah. Um, so I'm very thankful for, for those people. And I mean, I could, I would have to like write a, a book to, to list them all, you know, know. so many people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful for my friends, you know, people that are sort of like family and sort of like these other people, like in the same kind of group. But I have a couple friends that are so close and we're so honest with each other. You know what I mean? It's like, you know how you only have a couple people that really will come to you and be like, bro, right. Like you bullshitting right now, right. Or, you know what I mean, right, or like right. whatever it is, like right. what's going on. Right. And I'm I'm really grateful and thankful for those people in my life, especially the ones that aren't musicians. You know, the people that are doing their own thing and are there to bounce ideas off of and come to me for this. You know, it's like right. we support each other, and those kinds of like close friendships, especially the ones that go back. I've I've got some people that I'm friends with from the time I was eight years old. Wow. And, and those kinds of relationships are, are extremely, I mean, it's like, it's, it gives you strength, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I want to plug, plug some of your stuff. Anything you got coming up that you want people to know about your website, like everything? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my website is, uh, www.chrispatishall.com. Um, I, I got a couple things coming up. I'm on March 30th. I'm doing a concert in New York City at Trinity Wall Street. Okay. Um, they have a series called Concerts at One, which is pretty pretty incredible. Actually, it's open to the public, free. They do a web stream. They archive the performance. Um, it's part of their outreach. And so I'm going to be playing there with one of the these like best friends that I'm talking to you about. Okay. It's a guy named Rafiq Bhatia, and okay. he's an incredible guitarist and composer, and really good friend of mine from North Carolina and we've always been really close friends and we've always admired each other in our work a lot. Uh, but it's, we've never really like collaborated this directly. And so I got this, you know, was asked to do this concert and was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to jump out on a limb. I'm trying something that is very different 
than a lot of what I've been doing. We're um, it's it's like a lot of electronic music actually that we've okay. been kind of we've spent the last week very intensively programming sounds and kind of shaping these performances and it involves a very different like mentality of performing than what I usually it's all do. It's all pre-programmed. It's going to be about half and half. Okay. Um, I'll play some piano. He'll play some guitar, but then there'll be some electronic stuff too. Oh, great. Um, and I'm very excited about that because it's, it's like when you are, when you do one thing, but you have this interest somewhere else and then you finally get a chance to like kind of bring the two together. Exactly. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and then I'm playing at Mesro in April Okay. on April 17th, the day before tax day. So save like 20 bucks. <laughs> Come have a drink. <laughs> Come have a drink. Listen to the piano. Yeah. yeah. You're going to be there with a trio or, or your solo piano. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% confirmed yet, but I'm going to, um, the plan is to play with this guitarist, Marvin Sewell. Oh yeah. Marvin. Yeah. He's yeah, great. Man. Yeah. 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 Wow. I've been a big fan for a while. And it's another thing. Like lately I've been in a, in a space where for a while I was kind of associated with doing certain types of things. Right. But my interests were always very broad. And so this year my vibe is like, man, I'm going to just do a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Like I'm going to just stretch. That's cool, man. And some of it's going to work. Some of it isn't, but that's life yeah exactly <laughs> let's play one more before we go okay and uh which one is this this is a uh, sagittarius okay and sagittarius is one of the movements from the zodiac suite which was composed by mary lou williams right she wrote a movement for each of the zodiac signs Dope. and sagittarius initially was not my favorite but uh it's really grown on me over time and i know a bunch of like very incredible Sagittariuses. So it's, Uh-oh. it's sort of, uh, it's persuaded me <laughs> over time. <laughs> All right, let's get it. it is y'all i want to thank chris for coming on the show darian thank you for having me bro yeah man i'll catch y'all next time hey guys thanks for tuning in to the working artist project before you go i need you to do a few more things don't forget to like subscribe and comment on itunes and facebook i would love to connect with each and every one of you it would also be awesome if you guys could check out my patreon page the link will be in the description Each week, I will recognize one of my patrons at the end of this podcast. If you want to find out how to get your name called, click the link below. Become a patron. I'll catch you guys later.
Peace.